guys, it's Corey from Redefining Strength. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast. So today we're gonna go over embracing being wrong. We're gonna talk about the protein pyramid of prioritization. Try saying that three times fast. I'm gonna share a macro hack so that you can make a delicious dessert very easily and have a lot of options with one very simple thing. I'm gonna do a fast fix for lunges, especially if you have been blaming lunges for your knee pain. And then I want to talk about the difference between compound and supersets so that we're understanding the terminology that we often use in terms of workout design a little bit better. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about embracing being wrong. Ultimately, we have to be wrong if there's going to be an opportunity for change. So we've got to admit to our wrongness. And really, for me, it was actually refreshing to realize that in life, we're not trying to be right. We're just trying to be a little less wrong. But at the same time that that's refreshing, it is hard to say, oh, I was wrong about that, right? But when you look back on so much of what you've done, you always want to be like, oh, I could have done that better. Even if at the time when you did it, it was like, oh, this is perfect, right? Think about how many times we've like put out something or done a task or, you know, created a video, whatever else it was. And we're like, this is so great. And then in watching back years later, you're like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? What did I, why did I do that, right? But it's because you've grown and learned. So we almost always want to feel like we were doing things wrong before because that means that we've consistently sought to, to learn new things, to grow, to push ourselves outside our comfort zone. So as much as it stinks to be wrong, ultimately we have to be wrong to move forward. So if you're looking at making a change, you want to lose weight and you're thinking to yourself, I'm doing everything right. Okay, maybe you are doing the fundamentals, but just because those are the fundamentals, just because those are even ideal for somebody else or were ideal for you in the past, admitting that they're maybe not right right now, that they're wrong right now, could be what you need to actually move forward. Because we can't make a change if we're not wrong about something. Like if you're right about everything and you're doing everything exactly correct, then that means that something's broken, so something's wrong. And if you're not wrong with those limitations, then you just have something you can't overcome, right? That's not a good mindset or a good place to be. So owning our wrongness allows us to move forward. So if you're feeling like, hey, I'm doing everything right, be like, okay, well, where is there opportunity for growth? What could I be doing wrong? Is it simply that this ideal ratio, this ideal workout schedule isn't right for me right now? Search for the wrongness and see it as opportunity. Because any inconsistencies we have, anything that can be tweaked, that's opportunity for growth. That's opportunity for a better result. So the more we can embrace being wrong instead of being confronted with wrongness and sort of fighting against it, and trust me, no matter how much I realize that being wrong is actually good, when someone's like, well, you're kind of wrong about this, I'll be like, no, I'm not. Oh, wait, yes, I am, right? Take that second to pause and realize that it is actually a good thing to be wrong. That when we are wrong, that is opportunity for growth. And really life isn't about being right. It's about being a little less wrong as we go through it. All right. So today we're going to talk about protein. Generally, when we're making macro adjustments, especially for weight loss, we do want to focus on protein, but I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of it. Uh, this is a tongue twister slash a mouthful. And I almost had to say it, Michelle, first, but we're going to talk about the pyramid of protein prioritization and what that really means. So take it away, Michelle. So one of the things that can be confusing for people is that for protein and muscle growth, multiple things are required, but the importance of them are, are matter in varying degrees. And there's really four main aspects, and that's going to be total protein intake, protein distribution, protein quality, and specific timing of protein. 
So especially for those of us just starting out or maybe lazy people like me who don't want to get into specifics first and they want to see results, where do they start? Yeah, so we definitely want them starting at to have a very solid foundation and that's going to be in the total daily protein intake. So just like you mentioned, I tend to find people that will get caught up in the specifics and quality, but they haven't really gotten that foundation of their pro total protein intake. Um, and part of this is because they like to compare with others who are already at the finish line versus at the starting point. So when it comes to really looking at the total protein intake, that's really what's going to matter the most. And most of the time, if you take care of that piece, the other ones are going to be either easier to hit or are just naturally going to follow suit if you are making sure you're hitting your daily protein uh, requirement. Really, when it comes to protein, they make up several structural components of the cells. So everything from enzymes to your antibodies to building muscle is going to require protein. So we really want to make sure that we're getting the appropriate daily amount. And oftentimes people are looking at the benefits of protein and I know the recommend, recommendation out there, people tend to get caught up in that 20%, but that 20% really is just to make sure that you are maintaining um, necessary bodily functions. That's not optimal protein intake. So really we want people to be kind of focusing on getting at least that 30% so that they have enough to actually be able to get to that muscle protein synthesis. Especially because, you know, when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about potentially being in a deficit to lose weight and we want to do everything we can to make sure we're losing fat and not muscle. And then as we get older, as we go through some fun hormonal changes as females, like there's other factors at work. And so it's not just thinking of, oh, well, what's the minimum, but what's the optimal to really succeed and see the best results as fast as possible. Yes, absolutely. It's really going to be focusing on that total intake. And that's going to be really what matters most. And a lot of people do get caught up in the timing and the specifics before we've really hit this foundation. So you've dialed in your overall protein. You're focusing on hitting that 30% or at least making increases from where you're at currently. And then your next focus has to shift to where? The distribution across the day. Um, and this can be a little bit tricky. And I think this also shows how really the total intake is more important than the distribution because I know we intermittent fasting is a thing. And if, if the distribution was really a big component, those that did IF wouldn't, would see muscle loss. And we know that's not occurring um, in a big degree. But the big thing is when it comes to distribution is you really wanna be able to give your body enough opportunity to be able to um, play out the muscle protein synthesis. So we do wanna make sure that there's enough amino acids throughout your day that your body's able to kind of turn to that when it wants to kind of turn that on versus throwing everything at it at once. Not only can this be tough on your digestive system is, I mean, if you've ever, we've all experienced that Thanksgiving meal where we have that giant meal and how we feel afterwards. It, I mean, that's, it puts a lot of stress on your GI tract. So not only does it kind of make you feel a little bit better as you go throughout the day, but you are making sure that you are giving your body that opportunity to fulfill the muscle protein synthesis pathways when it's able to. I know a common question too is, well, if I eat so much protein in one meal, will I actually utilize all of it? 
And there's been some studies that have come out like, oh, it's the perfect percent or amount if you only eat 24 grams or 30 grams. And if you eat more than that, you're just going to be fat, right? That, that's sort of the myth that's spread. Can you touch a little on that? Not true because your body's going to use what it needs, right? It's a pretty fine tuned machine where it's going to take up and utilize what it can. Of course, excess in anything, whether it's going to be a protein, carb, or fat is going to be stored as fat. But that does not mean that if all of a sudden there's a magic number that if you're eating a specific amount of protein in a meal, all of a sudden that that excess is going to get turned into fat. That's not really how we work. We're not that we're not that great as far as timing and our body knowing exactly what's coming in and when when it's going to be hit with all of that. So a big thing is really just making sure again you got to you got to have the right amounts for the day. So if you're only getting the majority of that intake at a specific meal, your body is still going to utilize as much as it can. There is the where the, uh, there's slightly truth to that. It does come in with the digestive system. Um, when we do again, when we throw out these large meals, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, do, do your job. Start start breaking this down and absorbing it. Yeah, it, it's just a lot of pathways for our body to turn on and try to keep up with us. So that's where that there's some truth in just making sure that we are distributing it throughout the day, but that doesn't mean all of a sudden, oh, you had 35 grams of protein at this meal. Sorry, you can only use 30. That's not quite going to happen. So it's really just making sure that you are eating it enough throughout the day that your body is able to kind of fulfill those systems and pathways. I think it's also always recognizing some of the nuance in some of those things where a lot of those studies were done regarding protein supplements, which it also proves that their amount in the protein supplements is perfect for us. Not to mention the other macronutrients included at the meal can really uh, affect how things are digested and the rate at which they are processed by the body. So even consuming a fat can slow down the rate at which you're di digesting the protein with the meal, which could make sure that you're even utilizing it potentially more than if you're just doing a more fast acting protein like way where you want to be able to utilize it very quickly. Yeah, and I do think that, and that kind of leads right into the next thing, which the next important thing is going to be the protein quality. And I do think that is a really good point to make sure people are aware of is gastric emptying plays a big role. So if you are, like you mentioned, having those fats and it's going to kind of slow down when you're pairing it with protein, you are going to be able to kind of digest protein a little bit more efficiently and a little bit slower throughout the day. So it is kind of something to make sure that you are kind of focusing it in a mill aspect. And like you said, a lot of research isn't done based on looking at the whole picture with the mill. A lot of times it's based off of using supplements. And while supplements are great um, and they definitely can play a big role, we do want to make sure that the majority of, of our protein is coming from the whole food sources. If you tend to be someone that is leaning towards the other direction where you're getting more of your protein from supplements versus from those whole food um, sources, oftentimes you're going to have not see as much of a benefit. And I'm not saying, again, total intake is going to be king when it comes to that. So you're still going to have see benefits, but to really get the most bang out of your buck, to really make sure that you're seeing every, every um, possible muscle growth and gain that you, you can, we do want to make sure that you are getting it from the whole food sources more than the supplements. And part of that is 
due to the gastric emptying and making sure that your body's able to slow down and absorb all those amino acids that it can. I know you mentioned three very important amino acids specifically when we were talking about this, even though you want to get a complete protein whenever you can. Can you talk a little bit more about those three? Yes. So when it comes to quality, um, and this is going to be for everyone, but specifically for plant-based eaters who are going to have a little bit more difficult time getting all of the essential amino acids, we do want them paying attention to leucine, isoleucine, and valine, because that is going to be, those three amino acids in particular are going to play big roles in the muscle synthesis. So in terms of talking about getting enough protein, I do have plant-based eaters that will come to me and be like, oh, it's such a struggle. Any tips specifically for them when they're really trying to make sure that they are hitting that protein intake for the day? Yes. If they are really struggling to get the total intake, this is oftentimes when it comes to the plant-based eaters that I do recommend a supplement because one, we can guarantee that they are getting those essential proteins, those three in particular, the leucine, isoleucine, and valine. So supplements in that role, absolutely make sure that you're adding it to your whole food sources. Oftentimes I even recommend adding it to their soups and things like that so that they can kind of beef up foods that they're already eating with protein. But on top of that, that's going to be where variety is going to be king. So we really want to make sure that you are eating a variety of protein sources to ensure that you're getting all of those essential amino acids. And again, if you're even just focusing on the variety, you don't have to be so nitpicky in the specifics of, oh, did this have leucine? Did this have isoleucine? Did this have valine? Most of the time, if you are just making sure that your protein is coming from a variety of sources, and again, throughout the day, it used to be that they would teach, oh, you have to sit down for a meal and you have to make sure that you're having, you know, your beans with your rice because that needs to be packaged together to be a complete protein. And they've gone away from that. We know that that doesn't matter as much. It's really just throughout the day, you need to have that variety so we can make sure that your body is going to be able to have that protein synthesis occur. I think that's such a key reminder too, because when we often go on a diet to see a specific result, we start cutting out foods and it's reminding yourself that actually that variety is good for health and it can keep things interesting so that you don't feel so restrictive on the diet. And it's going to help you improve your overall protein quality and intake and make sure you're getting all those amino acids. Yeah. I, protein fatigue is a real thing. And when I say protein fatigue, I don't mean like, oh, people are just tired of eating high protein. I mean, people, when they go on diets, they tend to be like, oh, I eat, I relying on my turkey slices to get me through, or I'm relying on eggs. And then they do that for about a month. And then they were like, I don't ever want to see a turkey slice or an egg again. So really making sure that you're mixing up those protein sources are going to be key for sustainability. And then the thing that everybody always wants to jump to first, protein timing. Talk to me a little bit about this very, very sexy subject. That's the last thing we should really be focusing on. And you nailed it. It's just a sexy topic that people like to kind of argue about. And I think it is, it can be such a very argumentative topic. So there is a lot of attention that it's, that is provided to it, but it really isn't as really that important unless you're an, a major athlete or really going down that that path. And part of this is even when I was growing up, you know, I, I heard there's a magic window. You have a 30 minute magic window. And that was stressed to me 
all through high school, all through my college career of you, you have 30 minutes, you know, I would hit the weights. And as soon as the weights were over, we had a table of protein shakes. And for a college student, that was still, it still is ideal because let's face it, nutrition for collegiate athletes isn't great. Um, so it was a good way to make sure that we were getting our protein. But this whole 30 minute magic window has actually been debunked. Your body isn't all of a sudden like, oh, you have 30 minutes to get this protein in so that you can reap the benefits of your workout. That's not really how it works. So again, it's going to come back to total protein intake is going to be the king. But when it comes to kind of working around that workout, we can definitely recover faster and be able to hit hit our workout harder the next day if we do make sure that we are kind of taking advantage of that anabolic window. But that window has actually been shown to be about three to five hours. So even if you're someone that you tend to like to eat more of a pre-workout meal, you can do that. And your protein that you have beforehand is going to be able to be utilized within your recovery. And for most of us too, this means that we're able to actually work out and then have our dinner and have, a, again, a whole food um, source if we would like. Where this would be with where this comes to play a little bit more with people who are worried about timing would be if you are working out in a fasted state. So if you are someone that does tend to work out first thing in the morning before you eat, that's when, yeah, I'd say, okay, let's really make sure that we're hitting the protein hard after that because you've gone all night without eating anything and you're starting your day off with that workout. If you're doing someone that works out a little bit later in the day, it's not going to be as big of a deal for you if, as long as you're making sure you're getting that adequate intake throughout the day. It's such an annoying answer to say it always depends, but with so much of this, it really does always depend. And not only on like factors such as age, you know, our activity level, all those different things, but even just on what makes something sustainable for us. Because by adjusting our protein timing, by adjusting our meal timing, by just shooting for the overall daily intake, by adjusting the food sources, all this is about making it something that we can do consistently to see results, but also allowing us to understand that as our lifestyle evolves, we can constantly shift our timing. You might do intermittent fasting at one stage and feel like it's great, but then feel like for another goal or another time of your life, it doesn't work as well. You might find you're eating specific protein sources in the summer, but not in the winter. And there's just so much ability to adjust based on what you need or even realize like as you're getting older, maybe you do utilize the protein timing a little bit more and you make sure you're getting more protein post-workout because you're struggling to build and retain lean muscle mass as much. But it's it's option and opportunity instead of feeling like there's one ideal you have to hit. Yeah, and I, do, I don't entirely like fight against people that are like, oh, I need to get my protein post-workout. Partly because I'm like, oh, that's a good habit. If you're going to, if this is going to be a good trigger for you to be like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I get 30 grams of protein post-workout. I'm not going to fight that because that's going to be beneficial in the long run. But do we need to, is it something that we need to be stressed about? No. So recapping everything that we went over, if you can focus on one thing today, one thing this week, it's to just focus on your overall daily protein intake. That 30% protein is a great number to shoot for of your daily total intake of calories. Uh, if you are way lower than that, just even a few percents or a few grams adding them in over the course of the day can be great to start. And then from there, we want to get more specific, adjusting things based on our lifestyle, not only paying attention to the distribution over the day, but the quality and also the timing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing those tips on protein.
I love dessert. For me, it's kind of a non-negotiable. If I can't have that sweet treat, I feel restricted. I end up sabotaging myself and falling off whatever plan I have. It's why for the longest time I couldn't achieve the results I wanted. I thought I didn't have the willpower or the self-control, but really it was that I was trying to cut out something that I actually enjoyed as part of my lifestyle. And let's face it, often the second we say we can't have something, we want it all the more. So first I started working backwards around some of the things I like to eat, and then I even found macro-friendly variations. Because the more we can have things that allow us to make tastier meals overall, the more sustainable it's going to be. Plus, there are certain foods that trigger us just one more. I know that if I have a plate full of those peanut butter blossom cookies with a Hershey kiss, I'm gonna eat all of them, right? But I also know that there's certain things that I can have one of, feel very satisfied, hit my macros and keep moving forward. So I wanted to share one of my favorite ways to make a sweet treat or a dessert. I love using rice cakes, okay? There are a couple different variations you can use to hit your macros. Even just these basic two different flavors have one as 35 calories, the other as 50. So you can make little adjustments like that to make sure that you're hitting your macros. You then have infinite toppings you can basically add on. You wanna add more fat, try a nut butter or nuts. You wanna add some more protein, try Greek yogurt, even mixed with protein powder. You wanna add a little bit more sweet or carbs, you can add some jelly, you can add some marshmallows. But you can combine these things in different ways to really hit your macros and make something you enjoy. I love even doing a s'mores one, and you can do either peanut butter or the PB Fit if you wanna cut back on fat with chocolate and marshmallows. You can do it in the air fryer on the caramel corn even. Or you can even add in some banana, right? You have a few extra carbs, you add in the bananas. If you have a little extra fat instead of the PB Fit, use the, the actual nut butter. If you wanted to make a strawberries and cream, you could have frozen strawberries. You could also use a sugar-free jelly. And then you could even experiment with cream cheese versus Greek yogurt based on the macros you have. But it's really thinking, how can I use the same ingredients even in a variety of different ways? Or if I don't have the macros for something, how can I make the same flavor or the same feel but using something different? It is where things like PB Fit or the nut butters come into play or even using, using actual crushed up nuts. That way you can get the flavor but really control the amount that you're using. Same thing with uh, either Greek yogurt or cream cheese. You can get that cheesy flavor, you can make something sweet still and protein packed, but you can adjust the amount of fat you have. So have some fun with it. They actually even have great recipes on the back of the, the rice cakes that you can even try out using fresh fruit, yogurts, all that stuff. But I'd love to hear what your favorite combinations are, not only for that sweet treat with using rice cakes, but e even the other macro-friendly desserts you like to make. Because there's so many ways to create that lifestyle balance so you're really enjoying your diet as you're moving forward towards your goals. I wanna go over one tweak that you can make to your lunch form to really help you get more out of this. And if you are listening to the podcast, you can check out the full video. So with the lunge, when we do see often knee pain occurring is because of that front movement and that knee traveling past the toe. Now it is not bad for your knee to go past your toe if you don't have any knee aches and pains and you're keeping that heel down. However, this forward movement can often create overload of the quad and of the knee if you do have pain in the past. So you wanna be conscious of that. To help yourself actually get that proper lunge form and make sure that your weight is centered and that you're not overloading that front leg, you wanna start with a split squat and actually go up and down. And with the split squat, think about starting from that half kneeling position because it allows you to make sure that your weight is actually centered. And you'll start to see, do I actually shift forward as I do that and try and rely on that front leg? Or am I actually creating pressure through the back foot as well to go up and down? 
If you can't go all the way down to the ground and that range of motion is too much to start, you can use a block, you could use a higher little box or step, but you can actually start from the ground or from that block and then go up and down to create that controlled range of motion. But you wanna think about that weight being centered because that will help you protect your knees, especially if you usually do let your weight travel too much forward. From that split squat, you can make the lunge more dynamic. If you are still struggling with balance in the split squat, you can always have something by the side of you as well to touch your hand down to. But starting from that bottom position to actually push up in the lunge is a great way to make sure that your weight is centered and you're not overloading your knees. I wanted to discuss some workout design terms and specifically compound versus supersets today. I am gonna show you some different variations of movements that can sort of show you what isolation versus compound can be combined or compound and compound. So if you are listening to this, you can check out the video to see those moves as well. But when we're talking about designing workouts, everything in our workout should be designed based on our needs and goals, as well as the schedule and breakdown of the workouts over the course of the week. We never just wanna be randomly stringing things together. We wanna to have everything designed with a purpose. And so I think understanding terms, even if sometimes we slightly misuse them, it's really key so that we can see the opportunity and all the different ways we can design workouts to see results. So compound and supersets, okay? Often when we put two exercises back to back with rest after, we call them a superset, but a superset is something specific and a compound set is another version of those two exercises done back to back with rest between. It is key guys, we take rest between, especially when we are using supersets and compound sets because that rest allows us to actually go at 100% intensity the next round through. Even when you feel like you're sometimes giving 100% intensity, if you haven't given yourself time to recover and rebuild, during that time, and obviously it's not like the rebuilding that you're gonna see between workouts, right? But the recovery so you can actually push the same amount of weight and use a variation where you can actually activate muscles. You, get, you hit a point of diminishing returns if you don't have that rest. So with these, you wanna think potentially 60 to 90 seconds in between rounds, depending on the exact rep ranges you're using and the loads you're using. And with compound sets, you might actually find you need a slight bit more rest. And the reason being, with supersets, you're doing two different areas. So you're doing different muscle groups back to back. So one is actually getting the extra rest as the other is working, but this can be a very time efficient workout because you don't have to include as much rest between rounds since one area is resting as the other is working. What that would look like is doing, say, potentially a squat, you know, just even body weight, adding loads, right? Depending on what level you're at, and then combining that with, say, a push up, okay? You could also do a pull up and push up, but you're working different areas so that one is resting as the other is working, but you're getting more volume of work done in a shorter amount of time. With a compound set versus a superset, you're not necessarily doing opposing muscle groups, you're actually working the same area back to back. So you could do that same squat, right? But then come down to the ground and actually do a lean back. So you're leaning back and focusing on those quads. That way you're doing an isolation move after compound movement to even more hone in on that area. Because you're fatiguing an area so much more, you might need more rest between rounds. Supersets allow you to potentially burn more calories because you're working uh, large muscle groups and more in a short amount of time. Compound burner sets also allow you to create that muscle hypertrophy by going past failure a little bit by using that isolation move. You can with compound sets, use two compound movements, so a squat and say a lunge, right? So you could do, if you wanna target your quads a little bit more, the squat into then a front lunge as the second exercise, so squats and then front lunges, if you wanted to really hone in and work those quads more, but with two compound movements, maybe because you aren't working out as frequently over the week. So 
you can really be strategic in how you're breaking down even the usage of those designs. But I think it's key that we realize that supersets and compound sets are different things because we want to know that we can combine two different muscle groups into one set or even create more work for one area by doing moves back to back that work the same muscles. And it's just going to be a different, a different outcome or even the same outcome of muscle hypertrophy, but through a different method based on the other time we might have a lot in the week. There's really no one right way to design a workout, but all these are opportunities to see the results we want. A superset is really great and time efficient, even great for beginners. The compound set is a deceptively hard training technique because you really are fatiguing a muscle so much more, which can help with muscle hypertrophy, especially if you are more advanced trainee. And so you're sort of gonna see slower results just because your body's more adapted, right? You can handle potentially even more volume, more load. And because of that experience, by working that area and then really taking it past failure, you're going to recruit more muscle fibers. But again, you can still benefit from that superset. It's about designing for the time you have and understanding the techniques out there. So hopefully that clarified a little bit between supersets and compound sets and even gave you some ideas of how you could start designing workouts by either, again, doing a squat and an upper body move or even back versus chest in the same set or by taking, say, a leg move and then honing in on one area that you really wanted to target and grow. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fitness Hacks podcast. I'd love to hear your biggest takeaway and also how you use rice cakes yourself.